Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Serverless Cast. Uh, we're coming to you live from Austin at ServerlessConf. Um, we actually have kind of a quick follow-up here from a session that, that just happened. Um, we, we, today, we've got a great guest, Paul Johnston. Hello. And Paul is CTO. Say the, the company name for uh, me, though. CTO of Movivo. Movivo. And what we really wanted to do, though, was really kind of break down your talk a little bit. The reason why is, is because it was probably different from a lot of the others. Of You mm-hmm. had a very different yep. approach and of kind of methodology yep. behind a lot of this that I, that I found very fascinating. So if you don't mind, just kind of give a quick introduction and we'll, we'll take it from there. Um, about the talk or about me? Both. Both. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Both. Well, I, I'm the CTO of um, a company called Movivo, which is, uh, we, we make mainly Android apps to work with um, the developing countries and emerging economies and help people to earn free internet. So it's, it's quite social, but there's some money in it. But um, the talk was really about how uh, a CTO can make a decision for using a serverless uh, framework and infrastructure and idea as uh, a good one over and above the ideas that uh, normally prevail within right, that right. And, and to be clear, you didn't... You you didn't um, decide to like transition to this or shift this. You started the company with a mission of never having a server. Yeah, that is that is exactly it. And but and it and, was, you, and you did this two month two years ago. Uh, just just over eighteen months. Eighteen ago months. Now. So so you know decently bold. <laughs> uh, I, that's one way of putting it. I've had other people think I'm completely crazy, but it seems to have paid off. I mean, was was this one of these things where like. You had this idea that's been floating around in the back of your head, and it was just like, you know, it'd be like one of us saying, like, man, if I, if I had uh, a Lamborghini, that would be great, but I don't have a million dollars. But, <laughs> but if the timing came along, you won the lottery and you had a million dollars. I mean, was the, the timing of serverless coincidental with, with this idea to start the company, or had you had this idea for a long time and the technology just worked out? So uh, there's a little bit of a backstory to that, which is that I spent about seven years prior to becoming CTO of this company as a consultant CTO. Okay. So I'd spend a lot of time with startups, and uh, most of those startups had been companies that were, let's build uh, some kind of mobile app, let's have an API, let's have a back-end. So I'd spent most of the last seven years building Django or Rails with an API, and then something interacting with that API. So when I kind of saw Lambda in 2014, when it was, when it was discussed and released, uh, I kind of saw it immediately as, I wish I could just, just use that behind every single API call that would have made it a lot easier then it's on demand and and I kind of began to see the value back then so when in 2015 it kind of came along that there was a company that wanted me to work with them I was like yeah let's go for it let's have a look so that was that's really where it comes from and and the other thing too before we dig into the presenta- presentation today is um, we actually uh, those that follow the the, the show know we, we actually nicknamed this this cast the the Jeff cast oh yes <laughs> <laughs> so so give everyone for those that aren't in on the joke give everyone a little bit of the background of, of, of serverless Jeff. Oh, and Jeff oh, oh well okay uh, I wrote a blog post um, sometime early last year uh, which was saying actually we could it, serverless is just a name we could have called it Jeff um, 
uh, I can tell you why I why I chose Jeff, which was that uh, we had a, we have a joke in our household where uh, if uh, we used to have dogs and the dogs used to smell a lot, and every time we used to say that they'd smelled, we'd say that they had Jeffed. So um, <laughs> uh, we that that was basically a uh, subtext for when when there was a bad smell, someone had Jeffed in the room, and uh, and it just it just seemed like a, an amusing thing privately for me but that's kind of i've never said that in public so it's a good good answer good time to take that out and uh, tell everyone where that came from well done well Well, done. it makes sense and and, uh it it was the whole point of it was just look you may not like the name serverless you can call it jeff whatever it's you know dig into what's underneath the covers and uh so it was nice because this morning there was one presenter that spent a few minutes on saying like let me explain to you what serverless is because maybe you don't understand it but then we've moved on from that, so we yes. haven't spent all day going, you know, hashing through definitions, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, uh, about the presentation today, mm-hmm. though, and it, it will be available before too much longer online, so definitely would recommend everyone go take a look. But, but I wanted to, because, yeah, like you were saying, most people kind of either know the definition or at least have an idea of the definition. Yep. But then at the same time, the next one under that is, okay, people tend to understand the basic benefits or use cases some of these but but you actually took a different approach in that you took it from a i want to run a company yeah off of this and, and so for instance i i took some notes here though the one was um the idea of reduced maintenance over time yeah that actually by having something you know in a vm or something that you have to patch and maintain that it just becomes stale over time and actually is increased operations yes and and that's just an experience thing so that's coming from uh, 15 years of running servers, understanding that you need to keep patching, you need to keep doing these things. If that's someone else's responsibility, then your operational expenditure over that time is reduced. It just has to be. It doesn't matter if it takes a little bit longer to develop in the first place. Uh, you, you end up over maybe three years, four years, getting that value back at the end of the day. Um, and I think most people don't build things and then change them every year. So you don't you don't lose by building something that is going to last a longer time. And also you get scale, you get all of these other things that go along with it and reduce cost. Um, so I think it, it makes sense. I think there's, a, there's an argument that makes sense there. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're not saying just so for anybody, people sometimes pick up little little sound bites out of You're not saying there's there's no maintenance to, to serverless. I mean, you're still maintaining, you know, code libraries. You've got to make sure there's not yeah. a... You know, the equivalent of a heartbeat, a heart bleed in, in a Ruby. You know, yeah. so it's, but you're, you're not maintaining the OS anymore or a, or a physical server or a VM or yeah. anything below the function itself. Yeah, it, it, it's, as I say to people, it's not completely removing all the problems. It's just creating different problems that you need to handle. And the, the difficult ones, the ones that actually everyone can do, but they're not very good at, are, ma- are managing servers. If yeah. you've got your provider doing that for you, then... Uh, you know that just takes a whole lot of headaches certainly for a cto whose job is looking at the overall cost of things and and the running and the maintenance it it, it makes a big difference yeah 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 now you also mentioned something too and then you know i'm going to take a guess here and say Mm -hmm. we've all been in this industry about the same amount of time um and i'm assuming you grew up in the the typical three-tier architectures right and you mentioned that that another portion of this is is wrapping your head around a different way of thinking around yes. architectures of moving from that three-tier architecture to yes. an event-based architecture. What, what exactly did you mean by that? So um, when people first play with creating a Lambda function with AWS and, you know, it, and with any of the solutions, what they generally do is go, well, I know 
Django or I know Rails or I know this thing. So I'm going to try and copy that idea into Lambda, into, into this little small container. And what they end up doing is they build a bulky container that doesn't really do what they want and it's got, it's got a lot of bulk in there. Um, and I think when you, when you start to come back to how Lambda was originally created and how all of the other services are followed on, the event is, is absolutely core. It's, it's something that happens when, when something happens. You know, your Lambda function is, is a response to a thing happening. If you think about it like a normal uh, monolithic three-tier application, that's not actually how we do things. We do things by this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And it's not actually event-driven um, in, like, in reality. Like transaction-driven, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Is that a better way to, to think about it? I mean, it- I think most people go procedural. I think, okay. that, I think they're still, you know there's four things that need to happen and i'm going to make a procedure to make go, to go through all of them and even if it's if it's object oriented underneath they're still thinking procedurally yeah and and that brings it to my next point was you had mentioned exactly that that a lot of developers still think very procedurally but they need to start thinking both distributed and yep. asynchronous yes and and that kind of i kind of like step back for a second i'm like huh that one i'd never really heard of in a serverless context before of and so tell us a little bit what you meant by that as I th- well. I think if you, if you go down uh, an event-driven thinking process, you realize that you don't have to have everything in the same place. So you realize that then you can pull a service from any third party in the world ever, it doesn't matter which one it is, on the basis of an event. So you can start to think about distribution, but then you start to think about distribution of data. And one of the problems with Lambda is the infinite scale. You need to have the data scale with it. You can't have a, a relational database system sitting there that single, doesn't scale. Single point of failure. Yeah, 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 it, yeah, it becomes your single point of failure. So you have to then start thinking about your data being distributed. So you start thinking, instead of relational, you start going to NoSQL in some form. We use DynamoDB. Um, there are other options out there. Um, but you have to start... You, you have to start playing with those as an API call, not a, uh, a physical not, box. Or yeah, not yeah, a physical box stuff. over there. So, so all of a sudden, your data calls become service calls, not connections to a to a box, as you say. Yeah, I, I used to do this thing with my kids when when we were trying to teach them how to be better writers. We would the, the exercise was explain to me how you'd make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, right. And it was well, you know, uh, I get peanut butter and I put it on the bread and I go, no, no, no. Where did you get the peanut butter from? Where was it on the shelf? How did you get open the door? You know, like, so you'd walk through this thing, which I, I think as I hear more people here talk about, well, this is a step, this is a step, this was an event. So that all sort of begins to logically make sense that each one of those becomes a function. And do you, but, but at some point then somebody goes, oh, I want to optimize that, right? Like I used to take a class yes. in, in, in university where we would optimize manufacturing processes and, and reduce steps. Do you see that, like in terms of like I like you said, do I build a bulkier function because it yeah. reduces steps? Like, how does that thinking evolve? I th- I, I, how does the thinking evolve? That's quite well, or, a- or, or or maybe not the thinking, but like, do you see that happening because people say, "Hey, I can jam two things together and then I only maintain one yeah. or something." So uh, well, that happens quite a lot, actually. When when you there is a trade off. You try my my rule of thumb is one thing in each function. Okay. So try and do only one thing. So only one data transformation or only one service call or whatever it is. Um, 
and and so over time what you find is that other developers developers have slightly different ideas and those ideas are different in some way shape or form sure. and so you know there are some who do three or four things in a function um the problems come when you go well actually what about the last two steps of that function what happens if that needs to be done somewhere else and then you find that oh well i'll bypass those top bits of the function and then you kind of go well actually it would be easier if you separated those two things out but you don't want you want it asynchronously separated out so you need to then have some kind of way of creating an event and so you 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 start putting a lot more events into your system and develop that is a bit of a struggle certainly if you're used to a procedural or even a normal approach um it's it's a bit of a stretch to get there yeah and and kind of a follow-on question to that then is if you have a, a developer that's out there and you know they're they've kind of grown up in a procedural world if yep. you will right um and now we're saying you need to start thinking more distributed you need yep. to start thinking more asynchronous um d- does that mean okay you know so if i connect a whole bunch of dots here for a second I don't have no operations, but I have reduced operations, mm-hmm. and I have reduced costs. But now do I have to then get more expensive developers or more specialized developers or developers with a very new skill set? Or and like So when it comes to staffing mm-hmm. something like this, how would you think about that or go about that? Well, so my first impression was that we would have to get better developers. And that was kind of the route that I went down. And, um, you know, we're, we're not a massive team, and so I started hiring hired the best people I could find who understood cloud, who understood, and they're not cheap. <laughs> and, um, and you kind of go down that route for a while, um, and then you realize that once you've built these things, because they don't require the same amount of maintenance, that actually you can get quite bored. And so what we ended up doing is actually looking at the kinds of skills you need to be able to think distributed are not necessarily normal developer skills. They're actually more sysadmin skills. So someone with a sysadmin background is more likely to understand the distributed thinking that goes with building a, an entire system with events within it than necessarily a uh, framework-based developer like a Django or a Rails or a whatever. Um, so we found that. But also, uh, I, I'm one of the people we've recently hired who's only been in the company about six weeks he um, he's only got two years um, experience. Kind of did vocational training on the job, um, and he's turned out to be a revelation to me because he hasn't got the background of having the the um, the baggage of frameworks and servers and all of those kinds of things. And that baggage does seem to get in the way. So possibly it's better to go down the route of younger, hungrier developers who don't have that experience behind them. Sure, sure, and. and- I'll close out with kind of this last question of, and we talked about it uh, with the um, Azure Functions folks on the previous podcast. Um, everyone likes to talk about vendor lock-in, no matter what the technology is, right? And and you actually brought it up mm-hmm. in your talk as well, but but you had a, a different spin on it in that it isn't about the code per se. It's more about the ecosystem mm-hmm. because you, you, no matter what, you're going to need analytics. You're going to need you know, debugging, monitoring, all these other things. And you actually may get more locked in there. And to add to that very quickly as well, the, and the Azure folks also said, well, there's that, but there's also data and the data gravity aspects of moving things as well. So what is your kind of take on all of that? 
Um, I can answer that as a CTO, and I think that's probably the easiest way to answer it. Um, you don't want to necessarily um, have 47 different services that you use. You want to be able to say, I'm, I'm using these few services and understand why you're using them. But um, you do get partially locked in. But then the other thing that becomes more interesting is that you actually have more availability for sending data to third-party services anyway. So you could end up with a logging system over here and you could end up with an analytics platform over here. So an example from within Movivo, which is interesting, is we have, I think, around nine or ten third parties that we send data out to who give us analytics and metrics in various different ways. And we have our internal metrics within AWS. So while we do have vendor lock-in in some senses, we're not necessarily as locked in as it might appear from the outside. It's probably more about uh, skill sets. So developer skill sets are probably going to be based around AWS or Azure or IBM or whatever it is. And, sure. and it's easier to build one set of skills rather than have to build on two or three different clouds at a different time. So I, I take there are various different ways of looking at it. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense. And I think, you know, we, we've, we've for years, we've talked to some of the guys over at Netflix and they'll say the same sort of thing. It's, you know, we, we're, we're building around the skill sets we have. And at some point we pick, we pick a stack and you, you ride that horse and, yeah. um, you know, you're going to have trade-offs. But uh, like at the end of the day, it becomes hire the best people, build a culture around it, you know, trying yeah. to put some procedure around it that's repeatable and that uh, makes sense. But it's never perfect. As oh, well. no, I think, no, you know, absolutely you, not. You, you always end up with trying to make the best of what you've got. And, and you will make mistakes. And you, in, one of the advantages, I think, of having a serverless approach, approach and a distributed approach is that it, I think it's easier probably to make that change. Yeah. Yep. So. Good. Fantastic. Well, we'll go ahead and close this out. So, Paul, where can everyone – we know you're both uh, pretty prolific on Medium as well as Twitter. So where can everyone find you and, and kind of learn more? Uh, it's best place, Twitter and Medium, and it's at Paul D. Johnston. All right. Fantastic. And we'll have links to the sh- in the show notes as well. So thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll talk to everyone soon. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 